Well, this morning I'm so excited to open God's Word. We're in Matthew chapter 20. If you have a Bible, you can open it there or turn it on there. If you have a phone app or whatever you use uh, for your Bible, a lot of the scriptures get a couple on the screens. I want to start with this statement from Ephesians 2. It's an amazing statement. It says this, but God, because of his great love for us, but God, because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive in Christ. And, and that, that statement that Dalton said, like, for those of you that are in Christ, he's like, he's like, God is so, he describes God in Ephesians 2 as rich in mercy. If you have never met God, and I, I hope that there are always people filling these seats that are like, Man, I don't know much at all about God, but you know, here I am, somebody brought me or whatever. I want to introduce you to God this morning who is rich in mercy. And here's the thing, God is unlike any man or woman that you have ever met. He is he is rich. He is wealthy when it comes to mercy. And I want you to meet him this morning and we're going to do that through this parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 20. Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed, them, he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Verse 3 of Matthew 20 here, if you're still getting there. Uh, about nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever's right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. So the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us? who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. I want to stop there in this story here. Here's what's, this picture of this landowner. He's going around hiring people at different times in the day. And the one, and just as the sun is coming up, he puts these people to work for a denarius, which is a, a fair day's wage. And then throughout the day, he's hiring different people, pulling them off the, off the street, out of the marketplace. And and then he pays them all the same amount. And it says this, this word here, that the people who got there, you know, at sunrise, who had been working all day, 
it says they grumbled, and in the in original language, it's the idea of the, like they're imperfect tense. They're going on and on and on about, well, this isn't fair. What, what's he doing? But wouldn't you have the same response? I mean, think about this. These people worked longer than the other people, so they were slaving there for 12 hours. I mean, from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., so, so that's not fair. They were working longer, and they had to work harder because, like they said, we've, we've borne the heat of the day. We've been sweating it out in the blazing, scorching sun, right, that 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock afternoon heat and sun, and these other people that came in at the end of the day, it's like the sun's going down and there's that cool breeze, and so they show up with one hour left, and it's actually like very pleasant working conditions. And so they're like, what's up with this? This is not fair. And look what happens in verse 13. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am so generous? This phrase, are you envious, is, a, is, is literally, um, is your eye evil? What does that mean? It's, a, it's an idiom. It's a, a phrase in their language which essentially referred to jealousy. Like, are you jealous that these guys got the same amount as you? Now, let me ask you a question. This parable is about the generosity of God. Now, how is it that God's generosity could make us jealous? Imagine this. Imagine you get to heaven. This is like, could be a parable of like end time, of the end when everyone stands in judgment and you get to heaven, you have labored, you have sacrificed, you have, stri- you have, you have given everything, every day waking up, seeking God, pursuing him, sacrificing your money, your time, your talents, all this stuff. And then next to you is, is a, a criminal. And this person was like the thief on the cross. Toward the end, they're just like, they came in at the last hour. And God says to that person, he says to you, well done. And then he says to the criminal, well done, my good and faithful servant. And you're like, what? This is not fair. This is kind of a picture of what's happening here. God is more generous to you, and I'm kind of put out by that. I'm mad about that. This is not fair because I look at what I have and I look at what you have, and it's not fair because I worked harder than you did, and yet I'm getting the same thing. And so I give the look. I give this evil eye. Do you guys, you guys know what the evil eye is, right? Do you guys, here, here's the thing. Do you guys want to see the evil eye this morning? You guys want to see this? 
Yeah, 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 I just see some kids. So we've got a lot of kids in the service, and I feel like, you know, growing up um, at my, my grandma's uh, little Methodist church, they did like a children's church part of the service. You know, like, now the children's sermon. Okay, we're going to do that this morning. Kids, you up for this? I mean, I'm, I'm inspired. I was at, at uh, kids camp this week, and I'm seeing the energy, the excitement. I feel like these services are for adults, but kids, this is your moment. This is your time to shine. And, and I need um, three volunteers to come up. Parents, this, this may involve a little sugar. So if you're like sugar averse, um, then tell your kid, don't raise your hand. Okay. Um, okay, I need, I need three volunteers. I need three kids. Okay, I see a hand right there. Yeah, yeah, you want to come up? Okay, there's one. There's one. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. I, well, I guess you're in too. Come on in, buddy. Okay. All right. We have our volunteers. I, I didn't have to pick them. So... Um, Okay, guys, come on up, and, and here's what I need from you guys. Um, you guys are standing here, okay? Um, let me, you stand in the line right here, okay? We'll, we'll stand here. Um, I'm going to go grab something, um, microphone. Okay, I would love for you guys to tell us your name. What's, what's your name? Sam. Sam. We got Sam. Hampton. Hampton. Chloe. Chloe. Okay, Sam, Hampton, and Chloe. Okay, do you guys... Um, do you guys like Capri Sun? Yeah, do you like Capri Sun? Well, I've got something that, that I like and my kids like that's better than Capri Sun. It's like Capri Sun, only it's better. It, it actually proves that you're not a baby um, if you eat, drink this stuff, and it's called Snapple. Um, have you guys had Snapple? Um, this is like what big kids drink and adults. It's like, it's like Capri Sun, but um, you guys, I want to... Um, you okay with me giving you some Snapple? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. What's that? My dad likes Snapple too. Your dad likes Snapple too? You think he's going to take this from you when, when you get down? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You guys, I just want to give you guys a Snapple this morning. Isn't that awesome? Um, but actually, um, yeah, I, I've actually got some other stuff too. Um, but each of you got your Snapple. And this, this is kind of a... Um, I don't know, I don't know if this has caffeine or not, um, but it's like Snapple peach tea, life's a peach. Have you guys ever had this? No. No, you've never had that? Okay, well, this is really, um, I don't know if your parents are going to let you drink it, but your dad likes Snapple, so you, would you like to share this with him? Yeah. Just you, I, you know what, I'm just going to give this to you, okay? And if it's too heavy, you can sit it on the ground, okay? Um, you want to sit it on the ground for a minute there? Um, awesome. Yeah. So anyway, thanks for coming up, guys. That was awesome. Um, how are you feeling about your Snapple, Sam? Good. Good? Okay. Well, Hampton got a little more than you did. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. Um, actually, there's, there's some more stuff I got. Um, yeah, more Snapple. Actually, um, Sam, dude. I have a special place in my heart for Sam. Um, Sam, this is a, a six-pack of kiwi strawberry. You down for that? You, you, I, yeah? Are you okay with that? that? Mango yeah. type? No, that, they didn't have mango madness. Just life's peach. <laughs> um, yeah, it, I know it's not your favorite, but it's still better than what, I mean, sorry, Chloe. But, um, and you know what else I love, Sam? Um, I love flaming Hot Cheetos. These have made their way into sermons before. Um, 
to illustrate sin, but, but really it's just pure goodness. Um, this is, are you down for some flaming Hots? Yeah? All right. Okay. You're going to steal it from him? Okay. But Sam, there's something else, like, I, I really wanted to, to give for you, like, um, Target gift card. Like, would you be down for that? What? Just cash. Just a gift card. Yeah, yeah. So, so, are you cool with it? I just give you that too. It's a gift card. How much is on that? Yeah. Okay. Um. So, so, Chloe. Um. How are you feeling about uh, your Snapple? Good. Good. She's fighting back the tears <laughs> as she's saying, "Good, good." Chloe, that. Thank you for that response, Hampton. How are you feeling, buddy? I mean. Good. Are you sure? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of money on that gift card. How much? Yeah, yeah. Um, Sam, what about you, man? How are you feeling? You kind of hit the jackpot this morning. Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you guys, just give it up. Give it up for these kids. They did awesome. And I'm going to... I'm going to carry this over for you, and so we'll get it after the service, okay? You guys didn't get as much, so you can carry that off. Uh, yeah, you should be good. Thank you, guys. Give it up for our kids there. Awesome. Right there, man. Me and Sam were close. You were close? Yeah, okay. Yeah, awesome. All right, good job. Okay, all right. There it is. Did you guys see the evil eye? I mean, wasn't that amazing that, um, here's the thing. Uh, this is a picture of this illustration. See, here's what happens. Um, see, I'm not mad that I got a Snapple. I'm just mad that you got more Snapple. This is... This is the picture of these workers. It, it's, that, it's not that I'm unfairly paid because I did agree to that work. It's that I'm unfairly treated. It's like, that's not fair because they got more than what I got. And so this is how the generosity of God's grace arouses in us jealousy at times because we see how gracious God has been to other people. And it makes us jealous. Like in the parable, he said, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money or are you envious because I am generous? God is a God who has unlimited resources. And his gift cards have no limits. And his grace is so amazing that what he puts into us is so great. But he does have the right to give grace as he pleases. And he will not answer to us for how he chooses to lavish grace on people. And then we have the punchline in verse 16. And so Jesus says, the last will be first and the first will be last, which reminds us of the context of this parable. 
when you're reading the Bible and you come across a phrase that you don't quite understand, what does that mean? That's a little enigmatic, a little mysterious that, wait, wait, the first will be last, last will be first. Well, he essentially quoted the exact same thing in chapter 19, verse 30, in the rich young ruler. Many who are first will be last and the last first. Remember last week, we talked about this rich young ruler that comes to Jesus and says, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, there's one thing you like, go sell everything. And we talked about uh, that story last week and how what God is, what Jesus is doing is he's destroying the scales mentality. You know that idea that like if the good outweighs the bad, then God will let you into heaven, right? Like there's this cosmic scale and God puts all the good things that you did on one side and the bad things on the other and whichever side wins out, like there's more good than bad, then sweet, you're into heaven. Jesus is destroying that scales mentality that we all have. He's saying, no, no, it's not about what you can earn. And it's, it's by grace that you enter in, and that begins with that step of repentance, of submission, of surrender to Jesus. And then Peter, remember what Peter says after Jesus has this conversation with the rich guys, like, well, then who can be saved? We left everything to follow you. And this, this statement by Peter is what elicits this parable. And so what Jesus wants to say to the rich guy and what he wants to say to his closest friend, Peter, is listen, God's economy is different than yours. God functions out of his generosity and kindness, not out of what you can earn or deserve. And Jesus is saying, let me teach you about grace and how it changes your whole perspective, your whole understanding of how the world works. Now, let me tell you what God did for you because it's better than a Snapple. It's better than some chips and a gift card. Here's what Jesus did for you. This is the grace that he gives. Look at verse 17. Right after this parable, we find these words. Matthew 20, 17. Now, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the 12 aside and said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Jesus has his face set on Jerusalem. Jesus is determined to get to Jerusalem. And he knows what is awaiting him at his destination. He tells the disciples, it's suffering, it's death. It's a cross. Why? Why is Jesus so set on getting to Jerusalem? Here's why. Ephesians 2 is one of the best descriptions of the gospel in the whole Bible. If you're wondering, what is the gospel? Here's one of the most concise summaries of the gospel in the New Testament, Ephesians 2. 
It says, as for you, us, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us also, everyone in this room, we lived among them at one time, the people of the world, we lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like we had all these like desires that, that were wrong, but we just did it. And like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. We deserved the judgment of God upon us. We were by nature objects of wrath, but, listen, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. It is by grace that we have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That is the gospel. This is why Jesus is so set on Jerusalem. I've got to get to Jerusalem because God so loved the world that he gave me to die for you guys. This is grace. This is undeserved favor that I'm about to bestow on not just you disciples, but all of humanity for the rest of history and time. Jesus is set on getting to Jerusalem because we are dead in our sins. Let me tell you what's not fair. The God of the universe came to die for us. This is not fair. It's not fair that an innocent man gave his life for you. It is not fair that you are free and forgiven no matter how evil your past sins. It is not fair that you and I will sit at a table and feast with the king like princes, princesses, kings, and queens sitting at the table of God feasting with the Lord. This is not fair that we get to reign in glory with him. Listen, the point of this parable is that grace is not fair, but thank God it's not fair because that's how we get into heaven. That is what makes Christianity different from every other world religion is that God does for us what we could never do. He came to us. He demonstrates his love for us. He first loved us and he goes to the cross and this is the generosity of God on display. This is a God who is rich in mercy. Do you see the connection that Matthew is making between this parable and Jesus saying, I am going to Jerusalem. And it's not so you can have bigger houses and, and boats and lake houses and SUVs and more Snapple and more chips. It's like, I'm gonna meet your deepest need and I'm gonna give my life for you. So here's a question, what does God's generosity mean for us? 
What do we do in light of this? Two things that I want us to be thinking about as we leave is number one, replace resentment with gratitude. Replace resentment with gratitude. Those, find those places in your life where you find grumbling. Find those places in your life where, where you might be like Chloe, right? Just, just like looking over and, and seeing like they got more. And, and you might be tempted to grumble. Find those areas where you're gruntled. What are you disgruntled about this morning? What causes you to mumble? Well, God won't answer you. God won't answer to you for how he chooses to give grace to other people. Maybe you're um, watching others succeed in business, in their jobs, and, and they're, they're being elevated and they're getting promotions and they're getting wealthier and they're getting raises and bonuses. And, and you look at yourself and you're like, well, I don't get a bonus. I don't get a raise. In fact, I'm like going down. I'm watching other people pass me. Maybe it's, it's in your health. You look at other people and you, you say, wow, they're in such great health and they never experience pain. And here I live with this condition or this sickness or this whatever it is. And, and this is not fair. And maybe it's in family. Like you're struggling in your family relationships and you look at, over, at other people and they have it so good. Here's what our focus should be. Not on what those people have, but we should look down and, and see what God has given us and thank God. And, and there's this old... Uh, I remember one of my kids watched this over and over, this VeggieTales, Madam Blueberry. It's like, a thankful heart is a happy heart. And there's a whole song that goes with it. A thankful heart is a happy heart. And that just is so true. It's like, what we should do is like, if you, if you instead of having the habit of looking over, would just look up, you would be happy all the time, right? Because you wouldn't be looking around at all the stuff they have. All you'd be doing is looking up and just looking what you have and saying, no way, God, look at what you gave me. This is amazing. I have a Snapple in my hands. Like, this is awesome. Jesus, thank you. You look and other people are prospering and in great health. And you look at your situation and you say, wow. I have the privilege of sharing with Christ in his sufferings. Paul in Philippians says, it is a gift for you to have the opportunity to, to share in the sufferings of Jesus. And you can look at the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus and say, my life is hid with Christ in God. I don't look over, I look up and I'm grateful for what I have. And I see Christ is enough. There's a statement, I, this, uh, I don't know who, who said this, but the person who has God and everything. Imagine that. A person has God and everything has no more than the person who has God 
only. This morning, if you have Jesus Christ, you have everything that you need. He is enough. And what I want to say to you is some of you um, don't have Christ. Therefore, you have nothing. If you have all the world but not Christ, you have nothing. This morning, I want to invite you to receive the greatest gift that has ever been given. It is the gift of Jesus Christ. Um, First thing is just to replace the resentment with gratitude. Instead of looking over and grumbling, we look up and we're grateful. The second action point actually comes from how the passage ends in verse 24. So let me set this up. James and John and their mother, these sons of Zebedee, okay, they go up to Jesus and somehow through their mom are trying to get places of prominence in the kingdom of God. And so the mom comes and says, hey, hey, I've got these sons, James and John, they've been following you around and we know that your kingdom is gonna be awesome. You've been healing people and we know Rome is about to go down and that's why you're going to Jerusalem and, and we don't understand the suffering stuff, but we believe that your kingdom is coming and I have a little request. I just would like James and John for one of them to be on your right hand, the other to be on your left in in your kingdom, can, can you do that for us, for our family? And the, look at verse 24, the 10 heard about this, the 10 other disciples, they heard about this, and they were indignant. They were angry with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I want you to see the absurdity of this moment here. We've got this amazing parable about the generosity of God. And then we've got Jesus explaining that he's going to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. He's going to the cross. And guess what we're obsessed with? Our greatness, our glory, all the stuff we're going to get for ourselves. And Jesus once again lands with this, hey, guys, the first will be last. The last will be first. You want to be great, step down and become a servant that's how the kingdom of God works. Jesus in Matthew 20 is exposing one of our deepest problems as humans, and it's the entitlement mentality. It is the mentality that says, entitlement is this idea that I deserve these special privileges. Like I have a right to these things. I mean, we're Americans, right? We, we're the, the land with, with inalienable rights. We have rights, and I've got rights to do what I want to do. Nobody can tell me who I am, what I'm going to do. Like, I am my own Lord. Nobody's over me. Nobody rules over me. Like, I am my own God, and I have a right to do what I want to do. And so Jesus is confronting this mentality that we have to want our selfish desires to be over other people's. 
and to claim these, these rights and entitlements, this earning mentality, this scales like, I worked hard, I deserved it, I earn it, and Jesus is destroying this. And think about this. If people were in heaven because of their good works, like let's just play out the scales mentality and let's say that God did that. Let's say that God said, okay, if the good outweighs the bad, I'll let you in. Think about what would happen in heaven. Everybody in heaven would have a right to boast, wouldn't they? Because they would say, I belong here. Like, of course I'm here because I spent my life grinding out good works and like, I belong here and therefore they would have a reason to boast. But think about what grace does. Ephesians 2, let me finish Ephesians 2. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. It is not by works. So that what? It's not by works. Why? So that no one can boast. The reason it has to be by grace is because God doesn't want you showing up and say, I belong here. No, 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 no. He wants to create a kingdom where the people that are there look up and say, what a God. Because if I'm there by my works, I don't have to worry about the generosity of God. All I can see is my hard work and myself. But when it's by grace, we look up and say, what a God to the praise of his glorious grace. And in this story of the generous landowner, Jesus is destroying our sense of entitlement that God does not give based on merit, based on earning, based on what we deserve. And that is the good news of the gospel. And it's how we get into heaven. So this morning, what entitlement is God stripping away from you? What is the thing that you point to in your life and say, well, of course I'm successful because of this? You look at the mirror and you're like, well, of course. I, I'm chiseled up because look, I did this. I'm incredible at this fill in the blank, sport, job. Like all this knowledge that I have, of course. All this time I spent in the library reading, of course I'm an amazing doctor. Like look at what I did. Of course I'm an amazing student. Of course I'm an amazing teacher. Of course I'm an amazing parent. I mean, of course my kids are walking with Jesus because look at all the work that we put in as parents. Of course... What is the thing in your life that, that you look at and you feel this sense of entitlement? And here's what we do. This is the second point. Thinking about Matthew 20, replace entitlement with servanthood. Replace entitlement with servanthood. Listen, if it's true that everything you have is a gift of God, Guess what that does? It frees you to serve. Entitled people are not free to serve because they've got to let everyone know that they, they earned it, they deserved it, and they got to get like lorded over the people around them. But servants, they are free to serve. They are free to come under selfish people and say, let me serve you. Let me love you. Let me show you the generosity of God, the undeserved favor of God. 
I look at Jesus and he was the most confident, free human being that ever lived. That's why he could set his face to Jerusalem to give his life. I don't know what it is for you. I also think about what it might be for us. Um, I, was, I was walking around um, just thinking about this, this sermon, went outside, was kind of walking around the building and just looking at this miracle that God has done called Veritas Church. And I thought about um, 1 Corinthians 4, where Paul says, he says to the Corinthians, you know, they were looking around like, we're a spirit-filled church. We got miracles. We've got prophecy. We've got healings. We've got all these amazing things going on in our church. And, and we're like a, yeah, we're, we're pretty amazing. And Paul says to them, hey, Corinthians, here it is. What do you have that you did not receive? I mean, just think about that question. And answer, like, what do you have that you did not receive? Here's the answer to that question. Nothing. Like, everything that I have, I received it. It was a gift, everything. I didn't choose to be born this way. Like, I, with this name, I just, like, this, this body that God gave me, this brain, this opportunity to do this or that thing. And, and I think about our ministry, our church. It's all a gift of God. We can't trace it back to some formula that we found. Like if every church did what we did, of course they would see this. No, no, no. It's not based on anything that we have done. It is a gift of God so that we should not boast. And I was walking around the building just marveling at this. God has blessed us. And you've heard me compare this to like standing under a waterfall. I remember as a kid, we'd go canoeing down the Niobrara River in Nebraska. And there was this place where you could get out of your canoes and go back into the woods. And there were Smith Falls, the largest waterfall in Nebraska, which is like 65 feet. Okay. It's pretty pathetic, but, but it's still like pretty cool. 65 feet. And I remember as a kid standing under this waterfall, we just stand in there. We're like, how long can we stand under the waterfall? We step in and we're just, you feel it pounding down on you, this cold, fresh spring water, and then you step out because you can only handle it for so long. Veritas, I feel as though we as a church are standing under the waterfall of God's grace and blessing. And I feel like we are, and if you tried it as a kid, like to try to hold like a Dixie cup under the water and just be like, what would happen? It would just like shred it apart, right? Sometimes that's the image I get when I think about us as a church, like holding our little Dixie cup under the, the grace of God. And it's amazing, isn't it? But I was terrified for a moment as I was walking around. Here's the fear that I had. Do we know what to do with it? Because Sam, you got a lot of stuff, right? You know what? people who've been given a lot do? They share it. They're grateful and they share it and they give it away and they come to serve. Last week I was thinking about this, we, uh, this, this couple that I knew from Weird Connection from Omaha and Ames and, and they had some foster kids and the dad was saying, if we as a church would take care of the foster kids. Like we could eradicate the orphan problem in our county. He was talking about this in Omaha. 
He had all the statistics. He's like, we could do it if all the churches got together. And I think about that and I'm terrified because I think, man, God has blessed us. And if we just take our blessing and hoard it and we don't become servants, we of all people, when we stand before God, what are we gonna say? Church, this morning, um, and I wanna end with this, just I love in this parable that there's these workers that are standing around in the marketplace and the landowner comes, he's like, why are you guys standing there? And they're like, no one's hired us. He's like, get in here. It's like 5.30 at night. They're about to you know, be done working at six. And he's like, jump in the work. And what I wanna say to you is, Jesus is gathering people and he doesn't care if you're like in your 70s and you've wasted your whole life. He's like, get in here. I've got work for you to do. And he wants you to share in the joy of serving him and knowing him. Let's pray, Veritas. Jesus, this morning, wants you to get in on his generosity. And the way that you do that is just by holding out your hands and receiving it by faith. This morning, here's what I wanna say to you. Christ is enough. This morning, if all you have is Jesus Christ, you have no prosperity, you have no health, you have no family, you have nothing but you have Jesus Christ, you have everything, he is enough. And he meets your greatest need, which is forgiveness of sins, freedom, joy. Through his death, burial, resurrection, he came to give you himself. Will you receive him this morning? Christ alone is the expression of the generosity of God. Let's. Receive him by faith this morning.